This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks for tuning in. We've had some great shows of late, and today is going to be just the same. Thank you to everybody who follows on Twitter. We've had an uptick in the Twitter followers and in the Twitter activity, so that always is fun when I log on and I see people are forwarding the episodes, because I usually put stuff on there. That is at cool podcast. You can find out that information. There's a little bit of information on Facebook. If you're a Facebook user, just look for cool things entrepreneurs do. And as I say on a lot of episodes, if you want to get involved with our small group coaching program, The Potential Project, if you feel that there's a gap between your potential and your results, let's talk about it. We have a weekly Zoom call where we have a small but mighty group who supports each other and talks about different ideas around entrepreneurship and career. And uh, everybody involved seems to like it. People keep coming back week after week. So we'd love to have you join us. So today's episode, I'm interviewing an old friend of mine. We kind of crossed paths on social media last week, and I thought, you know, I can't believe after 260-plus episodes, I've never asked Joe to be on the show, because Joe Payton is a serial entrepreneur. We met about, I don't know, I want to say it was about 10 years ago through the Entrepreneurs Organization and some mutual friends we had in there, and then he was living in Austin at the time, and we just sort of ran in the same social circles, and he was kind of a fun guy to hang out with, and he was a really driven entrepreneur doing a lot of different things, but also we had something in common, and I talk a lot about finding that uncommon commonality with people that you don't have with everybody. And that was, I remember one time we were sitting around and we were talking about something, and I said something at the time that my dad was like over 90 years old. And he looked at me and he said, what? Because his dad was about the same age. It's not very often that you meet somebody whose dad was over 50 when they were born. My dad was 52 when I was born. I think Joe's dad was around 50. And we talked a lot about what it was to be in our, at that time, early 40s, and caring for aging parents and everything that goes along with that. And some of you out there maybe have been through that. Some of you, you know, that's coming down the pike. But we spent a lot of time over the years that I've known Joe talking about that. A few years back, we both lost our dads. But I think his mom is still going strong in her 80s. But uh, we, you know, that's just the circle of life. But when you have a dad that's that old, uh, you go through it a little differently. The funny thing for me is I'll turn 51 here right around the corner. So I am almost the age my dad was when I was born. And here's the weird thing for me. I don't really have a memory of my dad until I'm seven or eight years old, which means he was almost 60. And he lived a really robust life. He coached my, my, my sports teams. He went on camping trips with me. He did everything you'd expect a good dad to do, played catch in the front yard. And yet he had to be in his 60s and 70s when we were doing those things. And so I look at it being in my 50s that I'm just getting started because I don't even remember him till he was 60. And, and he went really strong and he passed away at age 99 just a few years ago. So, Joe, I always remember that. So I want to welcome you to the show. Joe Payton, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you, Tom Singer. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Joe, you're a real estate investor and an angel investor and a developer. Why don't you tell everybody, what, what is your entrepreneurial life? What is, who is Joe Payton and what do you do? Ah, it's an interesting question. <laughs> I connect the non-obvious connections. Um, nice. You know, it's a lot like a Warren Buffett approach. You just try to find leverage in between deals. And those deals sometimes are people and how you can help them connect with other people and follow their passion. Sometimes it's an old house that somebody doesn't want that we want to buy or an old building that we want to turn into something new. So you have, you have invested in a lot of different types of real estate deals. So there's not like one thing you do. You don't just do commercial or you just don't flip residential. How do you keep all the balls in the air when you do so many different things as an entrepreneur? Well, you know, you think of it like hunting. It's, it's, it's okay to be an omnivore. Um, you know, whatever's protein you're eating eating, right? So you're a bear out there in the woods looking for something or a, a wolf pack if you've got a team. Uh, but there's something you're generally looking for, right? Um, and so that depends on the effort you put in. Obviously, if something pops uh, 
uh, across your uh, your radar, you can you can sort of look at it. But it's important also to focus. I believe, um, based on my experience, that focus equals success. So, Joe, what led you to this whole lifestyle of being an entrepreneur? I mean, did you come out of college and just dive in, or did you have sort of a, a corporate job at first? I sat in college dreaming of being a corporate M and A attorney. Huh. Um, that was the plan, or possibly a um, a uh, psychologist counselor uh, that passed my mind. I crossed my mind. I found some old notes uh, where I was uh, forecasting. Uh, I think I was a freshman or a junior. And even then on the side, it said, uh, you know, real estate investing, buying houses and buildings on the side. Well, I had a day job. I had a job, a career um, I built up to. After 91, I got out of college. Um, I was uh, uh, a couple of sales jobs, whatever you can get. Uh, that was kind of the unremarkable recession of 90 of the early 90s and um, got a job with a startup that had grown in about six, eight years from two million, three million in sales, 50 million when I came on and they'd done their first round. This is common now, but it was pretty uncommon at the time. Um, company called Corporate Express that grew through reverse mergers. They bought a bunch of other companies and uh, grew to in the four years that I was there. So I did a, um, a primary offering, uh, an IPO, and four secondaries. So five public offerings I was on the lead team. Uh, I reported to VP of Investor Relations and to the CEO. So that was you know, an amazing front row, aide-de-camp kind of role uh, that I got to play in that large company. So it wasn't, it so it wasn't a traditional, it wasn't a traditional first job out of school. I mean, you obviously went into an entrepreneurial growth oriented venture. So that was probably, oh, no, no, no. I'd, I'd had, you know, the, I'd had, a, I'd had a, a sales job selling memberships to um, an executive club they created to try to bring people into a hotel. So they place us in a hotel, we'd bang the phones and say, you know, CEOs like you for small, you know, mom and pop shops, but they got access to the gym. Down. They got the discount nights at the hotel. They got, I can get into the script here if I can pull it out of my head, but it was a sales <laughs> boiler room job. Um, but, you know, those jobs led to an ad agency job where I sold ads and that got me exposure to graphic design and moved to Denver from Colorado Springs, made um, uh, some applications out and got in with a temp agency. And so the role for more than six months was just as a temp, technically. The only people that knew I was a temp was my boss and me. So, you know, if you dress the role and you make yourself available uh, and you connect, then um, I was running an entrepreneurial venture inside of the investor relations department. So soon enough, who's that 26-year-old kid, you know, going to school at night, um, going to work all day? And uh, I remember going to bed, going home, going to bed and crashing. <laughs> and uh, one semester I had less classes and I, I came home and would watch TV. I watched, I think I watched every episode of the uh, Star Trek Next Generation. And I thought it was the <laughs> best use of my time ever. I was like, I can't believe I have time off. Uh, and so moving from uh, that corporate job and, and starting to invest in real estate full time was an easy transition because I was used to working all the time and in, in, you know, in my, my high pressure day job and my, you know, my school at night. Um, and I, my, my debt was heavy. I put myself through college, so I had to perform. So I didn't have, you know, the wife and kids and, you know, the ob family obligations to take care of. I had big bills and, you know, student loans are no fun. You, you're either in school and you're deferred or you got bills today. So private college and private uh, graduate school university. Um, I paid that off completely in about four years. Wow. I remember walking in with $30,000, $40,000 checks and, um, they probably don't see. They probably don't see that very often at the student debt office. You know, I asked them that. And they said, "No, we actually see this." And I said, "How and why and what?" And they're like, "Guys like you, guys that are doing something. They got a company. They got some investments, and they're 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 here to pay it off." Right. So, so I didn't, you know, go and study psychology or get a job in communications to pay those graduate student loans off. I'm so glad I got that education. Um, and it wasn't scholarships. I wasn't that smarter. I was in the average smart range. Uh, but I got to hang around the smartest people ever and have a, a high belief in liberal arts education. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. 
Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks for tuning in. We've had some great shows of late, and today is going to be just the same. Thank you to everybody who follows on Twitter. We've had an uptick in the Twitter followers and in the Twitter activity, so that always is fun when I log on and I see people are forwarding the episodes, because I usually put stuff on there. That is at Cool Podcast. You can find out that information. There's a little bit of information on Facebook. If you're a Facebook user, just look for Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And as I say on a lot of episodes, if you want to get involved with our small group coaching program, The Potential Project, if you feel that there's a gap between your potential and your results, let's talk about it. We have a weekly Zoom call where we have a small but mighty group who supports each other and talks about different ideas around entrepreneurship and career. And uh, everybody involved seems to like it. People keep coming back week after week. So we'd love to have you join us. So today's episode, I'm interviewing an old friend of mine. We kind of crossed paths on social media last week, and I thought, you know, I can't believe after 260-plus episodes, I've never asked Joe to be on the show, because Joe Payton is a serial entrepreneur. We met about, I don't know, I want to say it was about 10 years ago through the Entrepreneurs Organization and some mutual friends we had in there, and then he was living in Austin at the time, and we just sort of ran in the same social circles, and he was kind of a fun guy to hang out with, and he was a really driven entrepreneur doing a lot of different things, but also we had something in common, and I talk a lot about finding that uncommon commonality with people that you don't have with everybody. And that was, I remember one time we were sitting around and we were talking about something, and I said something at the time that my dad was like over 90 years old. And he looked at me and he said, what? Because his dad was about the same age. It's not very often that you meet somebody whose dad was over 50 when they were born. My dad was 52 when I was born. I think Joe's dad was around 50. And we talked a lot about what it was to be in our, at that time, early 40s, and caring for aging parents and everything that goes along with that. And some of you out there maybe have been through that. Some of you, you know, that's coming down the pike. But we spent a lot of time over the years that I've known Joe talking about that. A few years back, we both lost our dads. But I think his mom is still going strong in her 80s. But uh, we, you know, that's just the circle of life. But when you have a dad that's that old, uh, you go through it a little differently. The funny thing for me is I'll turn 51 here right around the corner. So I am almost the age my dad was when I was born. And here's the weird thing for me. I don't really have a memory of my dad until I'm seven or eight years old, which means he was almost 60. And he lived a really robust life. He coached my, my, my sports teams. He went on camping trips with me. He did everything you'd expect a good dad to do, played catch in the front yard. And yet he had to be in his 60s and 70s when we were doing those things. And so I look at it being in my 50s that I'm just getting started because I don't even remember him till he was 60. And, and he went really strong and he passed away at age 99 just a few years ago. So, Joe, I always remember that. So I want to welcome you to the show. Joe Payton, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you, Tom Singer. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Joe, you're a real estate investor and an angel investor and a developer. Why don't you tell everybody, what, what is your entrepreneurial life? What is, who is Joe Payton and what do you do? Ah, it's an interesting question. <laughs> I connect the non-obvious connections. Um, nice. You know, it's a lot like a Warren Buffett approach. You just try to find leverage in between deals. And those deals sometimes are people and how you can help them connect with other people and follow their passion. Sometimes it's an old house that somebody doesn't want that we want to buy or an old building that we want to turn into something new. So you have you have invested in a lot of different types of real estate deals. So there's not like one thing you do. You don't just do commercial or you just don't flip residential. How do you keep all the balls in the air when you do so many different things as an entrepreneur? Well, you know, you think of it like hunting. It's, it's, it's okay to be an omnivore. Um, you know, whatever's protein you're eating eating, right? So you're a bear out there in the woods looking for something or a, a wolf pack if you've got a team. Uh, but there's something you're generally looking for, right? Um, and so that depends on the effort you put in. Obviously, if something pops uh, uh, across your uh, your radar, you can, you can sort of look at it. But it's important also to focus, I believe, uh, based on my experience, that focus equals success. So, Joe, what led you to this whole lifestyle of being an entrepreneur? I mean, did you come out of college and just dive in, or did you have sort of a, a corporate job at first? I sat in college dreaming of being a corporate M&A attorney. Huh. Um, that was the plan, or possibly a, um, a uh, psychologist counselor. Uh, that passed my mind. I crossed my mind. I found some old notes uh, where I was uh, forecasting, uh, I think I was a freshman or a junior, and even then on the side, it said, uh, you know, real estate investing, buying houses and buildings on the side while I had a day job. I had a job, a career um, I built up to. After 91, I got out of college. Um, 
I was uh, uh, a couple of sales jobs, whatever you can get. Uh, that was kind of the unremarkable recession of ninety of the early nineties, and um, got a job with a startup that had grown in about six eight years from two million three million in sales fifty million when I came on, and they'd done their first round. This is common now, but it was pretty uncommon at the time. Um, company called Corporate Express that grew through reverse mergers. They bought a bunch of other companies and uh, grew to in the four years that I was there. So I did a, um, a primary offering, uh, an IPO, and four secondaries. So five public offerings I was on the lead team. Uh, I reported to VP of Investor Relations and to the CEO. So that was you know an amazing front row, aide-de-camp kind of role uh, that I got to play in that large company. So it wasn't. So it wasn't a traditional. It wasn't a traditional first job out of school. I mean, you obviously went into an entrepreneurial, growth-oriented venture. So that was probably. Oh no, no, no! I'd, I'd had you know the I'd had a I'd had a, a sales job selling memberships to um, an executive club they created to try to bring people into a hotel. So they place us in a hotel. We'd bang the phones and say, you know, CEOs like you for small, you know, mom and pop shops, but they got access to the. Gym. Down. They got the discount nights at the hotel. They got, I can get into the script here if I can pull it out of my head, but it was a sales <laughs> boiler room job. Um, but, you know, those jobs led to an ad agency job where I sold ads and that got me exposure to graphic design and moved to Denver from Colorado Springs, made um, uh, some applications out and got in with a temp agency. And so the role for more than six months was just as a temp, technically. The only people that knew I was a temp was my boss and me. So, you know, if you dress the role and you make yourself available uh, and you connect, then um, I was running an entrepreneurial venture inside of the investor relations department. So soon enough, who's that 26-year-old kid, you know, going to school at night, um, going to work all day? And uh, I remember going to bed, going home, going to bed and crashing. <laughs> and uh, one semester I had less classes and I, I came home and would watch TV. I watched, I think I watched every episode of the uh, Star Trek Next Generation. And I thought it was the <laughs> best use of my time ever. I was like, I can't believe I have time off. Uh, and so moving from uh, that corporate job and, and starting to invest in real estate full time was an easy transition because I was used to working all the time and in, in, you know, in my, my high pressure day job and my, you know, my school at night. Um, and I, my, my debt was heavy. I put myself through college, so I had to perform. So I didn't have, you know, the wife and kids and, you know, the family obligations to take care of. I had big bills and, you know, student loans are no fun. You, you're either in school and you're deferred or you got bills today. So private college and private uh, graduate school university. Um, I paid that off completely in about four years. Wow. I remember walking in with $30,000, $40,000 checks and, um, they probably don't see they probably don't see that very often at the student debt office. You know, I asked them that. And they said, "No, we actually see this." And I said, "How and why and what?" And they're like, "Guys like you, guys that are doing something. They got a company. They got some investments, and they're 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 here to pay it off." Right. So, so I didn't, you know, go and study psychology or get a job in communications to pay those graduate student loans off. I'm so glad I got that education. Um, and it wasn't scholarships. I wasn't that smarter. I was in the average smart range. Uh, but I got to hang around with the smartest people ever and have a, a high belief in liberal arts education, um, not to drop out of uh, high school or drop out of college and go be an entrepreneur, but go learn in a large corporate environment. That's probably the biggest piece of advice I give people is younger people is go learn how the best people at it do it and just shut up, be humble and do everything you're told and ask how you can help be helpful. Yeah, no, I think that's that's actually really good advice because, you know, I kind of had an eclectic background. If you look at it, you couldn't have designed what I did. But mm -hmm. from this side of it, looking back, you know, I worked in a law firm as their marketing director. I worked in a bank uh -huh. doing marketing and business development. I worked for a consulting firm. Before that, I sold advertising. I sold computer training. Uh, you know, I sold financial printing back during the big IPO boom. So I got exposed to everything that went on with all of these venture-backed companies that were going public. They all had to, you know, file with the SEC. And I was the guy who my company I worked for took care of all that. So it really gave me this eclectic liberal arts sort of education through the jobs that I had. 
had. Uh, but I wasn't as smart, you know, doing it in school. I kind of wasted my, my college years and maybe partied a little too much. Uh, so I think it's good advice to start early. I tell, I tell my college-age daughter to make sure she takes advantage of every day in college because it leads to not only the education but also the people who you meet. And, and she happens to be at a top-tier school, and I'm always on her case to make sure she's hanging out with the other kids in the business department and the other kids in the business school because I'm like, these are the people who are going to bring you jobs someday. You know, university colleges fail. Um, it's a broken model in a lot of ways. And, and one of the big ways that they fail is they see um, themselves as a education machine instead of a community of educated or and lifelong learners. So, you know, the big missed opportunity is they don't make it this great club. You know, the first letter you get is asking for money as an alumni. Uh, it should be, hey, we're going to get you together with some graduates. Now, that congratulations, you really have a chance to apprentice yourself in the world. And I put that out there constantly to um, a literary society I was in in college, a very small college. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy, um, open invitation. And it says, see anyone on my LinkedIn, want to meet them, I'll make the introduction. If you've been through what I've been through, we'll have a little chat. I'll get to know you a little bit. Um, but I'll be happy to make a qualified introduction. It can be, this is a kid that went to my college. He wants to talk to you. She wants to hear some things. Would you make some time for him? Sure. And, you know, any way I can open a door for someone else, it's just, it's the right way to do it. I, I, I say that because I really wish I had people with their hand up saying, come on up. And, uh, in a, in, a, in a way, maybe it's selfish because I hope that when I reach out for other people that I've sort of been paying it out and I have this expectation of saying, can you help me? It's funny because sometimes I'm surprised when people say no or don't get back to me. And I'm like, well, OK, I guess some people has that, have that, that, that prerogative. Yeah, but I find uh, but that's I think, I think connecting and helping people up to the next level is very important. Well, as you know, I built my career around that whole philosophy, and I will say that the people who say no are few and far between. I did have somebody who I said, hey, would you take the time to help this person? And the person said, do you know how many of these calls I get? I don't have time. And the person was somebody I knew fairly well. I don't have time to go to coffee with everyone who wants to pick my brain. And I said, okay, great, good luck. And I just filed it away that I thought, you know, I, you know, it was, would have taken a half hour of your life. And, it, I, you know, you might get a lot of calls, but probably not from people you knew as well as me. But that's all right. You don't have to do it. I found somebody else who... No, actually, actually, hold it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with him, and here's how. Um, I guess I get those a lot. And um, uh, uh, Cameron Harold, who you should have on the show, is, uh, is, uh, wrote a book, Meeting Suck, No Agenda, No Attenda. And I've had that believe for a while and i'm glad he's uh, that that idea out of the universe and i think we all kind of agree that email and meetings are killing us um you know i'll try to get to how i can help you as quickly and as easily as possible sometimes that's a text message uh you know a guy and here's another pivot to that a guy in you know um in, in austin jeffrey outlaw made a casual comment when he was raising capital a few years ago uh, in China. He's trying to reach these Chinese billionaires to help them with EB-5 visas. And he's saying that they're not answering their, their emails. I'm trying to reach out. And uh, the, the person who's kind of a, a relationship broker in China there says, well, they don't read email. He says, they don't read email. He goes, no, you got to text them or you got to hit them on a social media channel they're on. And, you know, that occurred to me, and I, I'm, I'm now behind something in the range of 20,000 emails, uh, 19,000 something. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that got bad because something on, um, on, on, uh, that, that had some electronic equipment that we bought that was too much. They couldn't return it, so we thought we'd sell it on eBay. Someone bought some of it. And I missed the eBay email, so I had a bad ranking. But that's like the worst bad thing that happens. So you ask the question, what bad thing can happen to me if I throw this thing away? Don't do this email. Don't take this meeting. And, you know, if you're, if you're understanding that focus equals success, then you have to focus. So, you know, my intentions when people want to come by are, can we have this meeting standing up? Can we get you in and out of it? Can I give your day back to you? Some people roll in. I had a fairly high-ranking person in the in – the, um, SBA, Small Business Association here in Dallas, come by. And I said, can we do this in 10 minutes and not have to sit down? Because they're, you know, can we pick a room? Can we go to the conference room? And I'm like, what, you know, what do we want to get done here? And they had a little bit of a look on their face and then they had some information. We looked at it. We said, great. How can I help you? What are the intentions? I had an intern. It was last year. He took some notes and the intern was awkward trying to like, can we go to I'm like, (laughs) why do we need to? Let's see what we can do here. And as we wrapped the meeting up and shook hands all around, I said, we could have been here for 45 minutes. 
and they smiled and they're like, yeah. And I was like, is there anything that we're not covering? And they're like, no, I think we, you know, we didn't have to go fetch coffee and right. small talk. I got them out and they back in their car and they have a whole extra 30 minutes in their day that, that they were sort of planning on having here. Well, uh, I don't, I don't think we actually, tour. and it was a little bit of an experiment, but I try to push people to a day, um, back to your coffee shop guy. Um, and some of the more successful, older and, 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 Gentile, you know, the, the, wiz, the wise elders. I'm trying to remember them and this guy. He's in Austin. He's running a hospital group. And he says, I always take the meeting and you're busy. But his position on that was, how long are you willing to wait? And so the way he manages it is he pushes them out to, you know, three months, four months. If it's, if it's something you've got to have someone solve for you in, you know, the next 30 days and you're going to drop off. Right. But if you really want to grow and, and the level of conversations that, he automatically moves people to is in that urgent and important quadrant. He's moving them up into the important quadrant. So how should I plan, you know, the next five years of my business? He has those conversations that people have to wait two months, three months to see him. Well, and I think that that's but he sees uh, everybody, but he that's sees, just busy. But I don't think we disagree. Cause I don't think you have to go meet someone at a Starbucks, but I think that if someone, you know, well, and who you have a great relationship says, can you talk to somebody? You know, to Take say no, call, man. to say no, I don't have time. It was like kind of a, you know, well, come on, you know, could you at least have a phone conversation with him? But yeah. you bring up something interesting that I don't think you caught, I, him, you caught him in a really bad moment. Yeah, well, I, I, I had yeah. uh, I had a, a learning experience early on and I used this back when I used to be really well connected in town. Of course, my career change eight years ago. I'm, I'm outside of Austin now, so I don't necessarily know who's who. But there was a time where I knew a lot of people and people wanted to get on my calendar. And I always believed because I was sort of taught by mentors to always take the meeting, but I had a uh, situation happen to me when I was a young salesman and I called to see the CEO of a company and he said, absolutely, you can come in and see me 6.30 in the morning on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? And it was an out-of-town deal. I was actually working in St. Louis at the time and I was commuting home on the weekend. So what else was I doing at 6.30 in the morning? I didn't have kids <laughs> yet. I was young. I got up and I drove and the parking lot's empty except for his Mercedes and I get to the door and the door's locked and I knock and he comes up and he brewed the coffee and we sat in his office and nice. and I said I said this is the earliest meeting I've ever had and he goes here's the deal he goes I get calls from salesmen like you all the time he goes I'm I'm an early riser I leave the house at like 5:30 I like to read the paper in the morning but I give, if you've got something interesting I can at least give you a half hour to see what you have to, what you have to sell cuz otherwise maybe I miss out he goes but it eliminates like one, you know 9 out of 10 who go, oh, I have to get kids off to school. Okay, well, you let me know when you can do a 6.30, because that's when I do it. Tuesdays at 6.30 is open for salespeople. And he goes, most of them find an excuse not to do it. And he goes, but ones like you who come in, I'll give you my full attention. And he ended up buying what I was selling. You know, that was a valuable lesson for me when I was just out of college in a sales job, because somebody did that to me, and I didn't make the meeting. Yeah, Um, He did have a quick chat with me later, um, and it it was along the lines of, well, young man, you have to get up early if you really want to win. <laughs> well, I won. Uh, and, I won know, that. I one. learned that lesson. I learned that lesson later. I didn't get a second meeting, but it was it was it was exactly this. You took that meeting. Well, and I and I still do it. I get a lot of people who are like, oh, my sister-in-law would like to become a professional speaker. Can can she talk to you? And I say, great, 730 at the Starbucks by my house. And I get a lot of pushback in Austin because it's such a big, long town is long and skinny. I live down at the bottom west side. People who live up in Round Rock, they're like, oh, I can't I can't do that. I say, great. That's when I meet with people to talk about the speaking career. Or sometimes people who live like far away will be like, oh, will you meet me up at the Arboretum? Well, it's like 30 miles away from my house. No, I won't meet you at the Arboretum. You know, come to me. And some people say, oh, well, he's, <laughs> he's, he's nasty. And I'm like, I'll give you an hour. Just you got to come to my neighborhood. That's so great. I'm amazed how many people, that guy in, the, in that office building early one morning in St. Louis was right. How many people aren't willing to go that, that far? So, so, Joe, you've been doing so, this. Oh, go ahead. Let me, let me tie something around to that. It's a, it's a, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a provocative, game-changing um, change in real estate and business right now around incubators, co-working spaces. And, you know, we like to have these kinds of conversations going on. So you've got the Starbucks chatter, dog bark, kid cry, you know, whatever else is going on. Um, sales dude on the phone. Um, if you're interested in one of these conversations with somebody, um, and even it's maybe a little bit difficult to get a hold of that somebody, Reach out to an incubator, reach out to an angel group, reach out to a co-working space and ask them to put the meeting together. Because if you get a call from me, Tom, and I say, hey, you don't know me, but I've got this incubator. Somebody wants to meet you. 
we've got a room for you. We'd love to let you check it out. And if you'd like to, we'll filter. If you want to send people through us and we'll kind of find out, have you watched this podcast? Have you got some specific questions? Are you going to waste his time? Don't make us look bad. And we've got this sort of growing list now that, you know, you and I are talking and I've tracked your public speaking career. When you're in Dallas, if I've got a list of people that want, I can say, hey, why don't you, ting, why don't you bing Tom when he's back in Dallas? Uh, you guys can take a conference room for half a day, however much time you need. And so there's a, there's a great opportunity out there in this sort of meeting place that you can have this professional. And uh, yeah, they want they want money. They want people to rent offices and, and rent conference room space. But when it comes to an expert meeting, a protege, um, and you're approaching it, you know, with humility, I think that there's um, doors open for you. And I can't think of a co-working space owner I know that wouldn't, and I know dozens of them, and that wouldn't say, great. You know, this guy is top of his, his class and he's going to attract our kind of people. We want him in here. We'll give him some space. There's always a corner you guys can meet in. So I've had a couple of co-working spaces reach out and say, hey, will you do me a favor? We, you know, why don't you put on like a, a seminar or something? I'll give you the space for free and you can have like 10 oh, people. Yeah. That way they get like 10 solopreneurs into their space for half a day. And yeah. I get to sell, you know, some seats for like a little private little conversation thing. And that's that's a win-win deal, too. So it's another thing that the, right. some of these co-working spaces are pretty creative. It's like, how do we get your clientele into my space? Well, you need meeting space. How about you, you know, use my right. conference room for your training? So right. you guys are you so, guys are a creative bunch. <laughs> it's a, it's amazing watching what happens. <laughs> hey, so you literally, can, as I walked over to this to this meeting, um, we have a uh, uh, sales a salesman with, uh, with Box, which is like Dropbox, but it's a corporate version of Box meeting a client, um, and they're both wearing and I don't know how this happens, but they're both wearing the exact same blue stripe shirt. Oh, how funny! Dark dark blue stripe, white. Uh, and it immediately shook hands and, you know, there's that two seconds of, I see your face. And then I realize we're clowns <laughs> dressed together. <laughs> yeah. But it's that uncommon commonality. Not everybody's wearing that shirt that day. You got something to talk about. It's funny. Yeah. That's immediately what they talked about. Hey, so anyway, Joe, you've been doing yeah. this for, you've been doing this for a long time now. What do you love about the life of an entrepreneur? We did research on the family history and found out that, I think we go back five generations of entrepreneur in real estate uh, doing various venture startups. It's, it's the nature of America. And, um, you know, if you're not a surf, some version of, of indentured um, in some part of the world, you know, you're innovating. And that's, you know, if you remember the old Horatio Alger stories, a lot of people don't, but that was really the, the story of young kid gets off the boat and, buy some pencils and sells them for more. Um, so that's, that's a part of my entire background and upbringing. And I don't know a context outside of that. I think we were posting in the newspaper at age 10 or 11 to buy 25 funny jokes for $1. And we didn't get anybody who wanted to buy a funny joke. So it cost <laughs> us $2 for the ad. <laughs> we got nothing for it. But we're out there with signs, you know, we'll fix your bicycle. And then, you know, by the time I'm 14, I'm mowing grass. So, I guess I've, I've never not known it. And, you know, what do I love about being an entrepreneur is the, the return on investment and the leverage that that can cycle up to. Once you get that plate spinning on that broomstick and it's hard and it takes a long time and it's a lot of work, then that plate spinning broomstick, you know, if maintained, watch out for entropy or messing it up yourself because we, we, we tend to want to mess with and then the broomstick falls and the play breaks and we're going to start over. But once you can get that going, then you can do another win and another win. And you look like, you know, the five or 20 year overnight success. <laughs> yeah. So what advice do you have then for people who that's what they want to do? They, they listen to a show like this and they think, you know, Tom interviews these cool people who've just sort of carved their own path in the world. What is it, you know, what is it I need to do if, if I want to create my own road? Oh, Wow. If you're talking, we would be talking to someone who is working a corporate job who wants to cross sure. over into entrepreneurship. Sure. Let's say that. Let's say that's the person who's listening. They have a job, but they have this little yeah. ping inside of them that they should just be doing their own thing. Here's my advice. Don't quit your job. <laughs> Don't quit your job until you have to. I remember I had gone out after the corporate job and started fixing houses and lost. I didn't say I broke even. I lost a hundred thousand bucks on my first big deal. 
and I'm 26 or seven, almost 27 years old. And it's, you know, it's me, you know, begging. I understand drug addiction, how people are able to get their hands on money. I'm not going to lose it all and go BK over a hundred grand. And I took a job with, with, um, with David Weekly Homes, I went through their builder training program, and I was a builder for David Weekly, and um, was starting to buy houses on the side again, and working a full-time job. And I, was, I got to the point where I realized I was going to have to hire someone who would be a superintendent on my construction remodel projects, and I would have to pay them more than I was making. And I knew at that point I could quit and hire myself. Right. So that was, that was my, that was just, I had to make those payments every month. And, you know, I believe that people forget they have cash flow and <laughs> cash flow is what it is all about. Business in every sense is about, um, and if you're running a small thing and you're not, um, and you're running under, uh, 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 you're running a cash accounting system, you need to be running on a cruel accounting system. You need to be looking ahead at your finances you need to understand what your financial situation is going to be like in six months. And if you don't know, guess. And a, a estimate on a roof on fixing a house that's, that has a line item that says roof $5,000 and the roof is $10,000, then you miss that mark by 50%. But if you don't have that line item that says roof, then you miss that mark by 100%. So, you know, any budget is better than no budget <laughs> and predicts because – as you're building this thing and you say in two years, I'm going to need to hire a $150,000 person, you know, get, get, get with the recruiter and say, how long does it cost? To, how long does it take to, to bring in somebody that costs 150? Well, it takes about three, four, maybe six months. Well, you don't want to find that out when you need that person desperately. You want to find that out six months ahead so you can start preparing and start interviewing. And so onboarding time happens about that same time. The magic of building a business this way is your sales guys know that you need to sell enough to bring in that CFO, if that's the part, if that's the part, the part you want to ready to bring in, right? And then you're, you're, you're focused laser hard on meeting this future need. You're not in reaction mode, you're in prediction mode. So you're literally creating your own future. So Joe, you're one of these people, and I know dozens like you, but who definitely have the mindset that you can go and tackle this stuff. I think a lot of people just see their glasses a certain level full, and then they just achieve up to that level. And then there are some entrepreneurs who the sky's the limit, and they just keep going out and they keep growing and all this. How how do you, you know, how do you encourage somebody to develop sort of a growth-oriented mindset rather than a fixed one? Um, There's a lot of self-work that you do. I would say do a lot of work on yourself and um, there's some really amazing questions. One of them is, and this is a super interview question, a super, do I connect with this person or not question? I, I, I love to throw it out at random times. Like after a group meets in a restaurant and you're standing out saying goodbye uh, at the, in the parking lot, I, I point over to an empty spot in the parking lot and I say, there's a lot of money on that in that, in that area right over there. Was a pile of money. How big is that pile? And some people are like a hundred thousand bucks. And you know, I had an attorney friend uh, a couple of years ago. I did this with, and she looked at it, and she immediately understood what I was doing. And she goes, "Well, that's a really abstract question. I would say forty billion dollars is a big pile of money." <laughs> it was the biggest number I'd heard. And Terry, um, Terry Seltzer is her name. She's great. I was like, "That's an awesome answer," because a lot of money to a lot of people is a million or ten million or. Heck, heck, I know some people who'd say there's a hundred bucks sitting over there. Uh, that's right. That's right. And so, you know, we need to think in terms of scope and scale and, you know, what is a big company or what is a big impact? Uh, I like to think in terms of what the impact is. Uh, recently was listening to How I Built This, which is a great podcast. Um, and it has, and I'm forgetting his name, the, uh, the founder of Tom's. And he just went, tried this and tried this and tried that. He was a contestant on uh, uh, the uh what is a great race? The greatest amazing race. race, amazing race. Yeah. And, and came in second on that. And that led him to meeting all the amazing race contestants. And uh, he put together a, 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 a company that failed that was investing in um, reality TV show, sports kind of TV shows. And so, you know, you don't know what you're going to do. That's going to fail you. That's also going to, you know, put you into a platform and then you do the next thing and you do the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've got I've got more questions for you, but before okay. I get to those, I've got to thank the sponsor of this episode. 
So this, ep- this, hey, this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. And I know a lot of people who listen to shows think if Tom Singer can do this show, God knows I could. Well, start your own show. Call Podfly. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. They do all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Joe Payton. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, go over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Joe, I call the show thanks. Cool thanks Things. Podfly. Thanks, Pod. Thank you, Podfly. Thanks, Pod. Yeah, thanks, Podfly. Hey, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the coolest thing you're doing right now with your companies? Wow. Well, Genius Den Business Incubator is a model that we would like to replicate and go to other locations, um, hopefully a city or community near you. Uh, we're going to see how well this develops out. We just doubled our space from five to 10,000 square feet. We've got three, Airbnb, well, four Airbnbs built on the back as a part of this model. It's it's uh, it's really very cool. Um, rooftop garden is going uh, is going in. We, we're a little tentative about cutting a hole in the roof with all the rain lately. Um, and a, a a sandwich shop, juice bar, coffee shop kind of space up in the corner. Um, so you know the whole model, the whole ecosystem. You can, I guess you can see it at geniusden.com. You know, creates this um, outward facing to the local neighborhood for folks to come in and get a juice or something, and inward focus to you know grab that juice, carry it back, meet in the conference room, um, and create a space or, or have a space here that innovation can can come together through collaboration. And it's a number of times a week and often a number of times a day that uh, serendipity happens just by being around other people. Well, and I think that That's that happens all the time. Right now. It's just fascinating. Being being around other people matters, right? I mean, it's like you can't do this alone in a basement somewhere. Being around the doers is what this is about. There's a book, The Long Tail. Uh, Sometimes it's stay with it, stay with it, stay with it until you succeed. And and the book, The Long Tail, was fantastic. It uh, told me to, when I read it, a friend had come out and was talking about struggling with his business in Denver. And I was in Phoenix, Arizona. And he mentioned the book, and I read it, and it, it hit me. What I was trying to do in Arizona was develop um, uh, condo projects, buy apartment buildings, and make them into condos. And the economy was not there; it had crashed, and it was dead. But a zombie, but didn't know it. And you know, I finally got it after a year of trying to put those deals together out there, um, beating my head against the wall. And it's important to know when to stop. And times being on those people saves you. And if you can save time, that's the biggest thing you've got is your time. So, so I ask everyone who comes listen on, to people. Yes, <laughs> that's good. Well, I, I ask everyone who comes on this show not just to talk about themselves, but to tell us who else out there they think is doing cool stuff. Because I think great entrepreneurs are observers, and I know because you hang out with a bunch of entrepreneurs, and I know you read a lot about what's going on in the, in the world of entrepreneurship. Who is it that you admire? Where you say, "Oh my gosh, they're they're crushing it. They're doing cool stuff." Yeah, you know, um, you know, not to brag specifically too much about our guys, um, but you know, I, I'm, they're kind of like uh, kind of like guys on my team. Um, we've got uh, Jose Suaste. He owns Fury Fellowship, which is a branding um, and um, a design agency here at Genius Den, and he's doing. A new tequila brand. It's a premium tequila. He's part owner in that. He didn't formulate the tequila, but he made the brand happen. And he's got these amazing, famous uh, Latin American superstars that come in. Um, there is um, <laughs> one, of, one of the things that we have that's great at, uh, at Genius Den is we have Sooth that's here. And Sooth has just raised $80 million. This is their Dallas office. So they're recruiting their massage therapists. And uh, they're, you know, they're killing it. Dallas is now the number four of, uh, in the United States of suit offices. So it's, it's a fantastic organization. Box.com sales tier. Tequila Honor is really cool. You know, I like uh, Thomas Croson is a uh, guy you should probably have on the show because he's 24 years old. 
he's created a company called Full Package Media, and it takes photos of houses for real estate agents. Simple, right? Doable concept. A lot of moving parts, but he bought the best equipment available in the market. He has a system for shooting, and um, his secret sauce is he, he develops his photos overnight with um, a de- an overnight development team. So his developers who are, who are, who are um, photo correcting and color correcting all the photos work at night, and his uh, daytime team goes and shoots the photos. So he can make this overwhelming brand promise to his realtors who, with competitors, might have to wait a couple of days. The days count, especially right. when impressing the high end. He's got... He focuses first on the ten million dollar homes and above, and they're tightly wound people that are high performance A players, and their realtors are A players, and the guy's you know young but building systems and processes, and he's growing like crazy. Well, I well, like to see guys like that take it so seriously. Well, the other we'll, reason, to, we'll have to get him on the show. Gotta, we'll have to get yeah, him, we'll you, get him on the you show. Should, you should get Thomas on. The other reason I have a lot of respect for him is um, he's here. I work hard. He's here when I leave. He's here when I get in. He is a very, very hardworking team. Um, so he and Gretchen, his partner, are just, are just you know, you, you don't say, will they succeed? You say, uh, how long is it going to be and how big are they going to get? And we're nice. already having those. Where's the next cities and how do you scale this globally? Nice. Yeah. Hey, hey, the other yeah. question I ask everybody who comes on the show, because in addition to being observers, I think that entrepreneurs also want to leave a mark. They want to do more than just make money. They want to do good. So what is it that you do to give back to the greater good? That's really cool because we said um, we have we have some fun um, values on our website, such as uh, the universe is not does not owe you anything. Carry your own bags. Yeah, you're not going to get a hand. I think the universe does not. Universe is not going to give you a ham sandwich. You know that, that'll that'll sort of hippie uh, statement. Like uh, I'm walking down the street and I just want the universe to provide, and I'm, I wish I had a ham sandwich. And somebody's walking by and says, "I don't want this ham sandwich. Do you want a ham sandwich?" And you know that's how it's all supposed to flow easy. <laughs> um, my my worldview is probably less of a baby boomer and more of a Gen Xer. Like you got to work for it. You're going to make that happen yourself. And there's ham sandwiches out there, but probably there's bread and mayonnaise and ham. You can go get those and some lettuce and tomatoes and make yourself a nice ham sandwich. So the resources are out there. You got to put them together. The three-part mission of Genius Den um, really brings this all home. And that is that we want to be, we seek to engage in activities that are a force multiplier our second value is, or our second three-part mission, is that we want to um, involve ourselves in the future. So we want to bring the future into the present. And the third thing that we want to engage in is we want to interrupt cycles of poverty. So how do we, you know, it's easy to say, let's work with Big Brothers, Big Sisters. We hosted an event for them recently. Um, it's, it's as important to me to work with high-performing um, high, high-performing people that can perform at a higher level and help them be better. So if Bob's quitting his job and his skill sets include doing X and he's going to build an app around X and his market niche in that, Bob's probably not had a lot of life training and skills in being a leader, being a CEO, you know, all the things that a founder needs. So he left this job with a stressed out yelling boss and he gets all stressed out and he starts yelling and becomes that same jerk boss that he was. <laughs> so can we help interrupt that poverty cycle so he can end up with 20 employees? He can learn to surrender responsibility, not abdicate, but delegate and understand the difference and um, help Susan be a much better leader. And how can we interrupt that cycle of poverty so that he can then build a really cool organization that does great things in the world? So that's, that's what we do to give back um, as a part of what we do to give back. But we are also looking for opportunities. So here in Deep Ellum, Dallas has a police problem. Um, they mismanaged their, short story short, they mismanaged their retirement fund and they mismanaged their management. The police chief has left. There's 3,000 police officers in Dallas and there's now, uh, they're down something in the range of 800 police officers. So we're in Deep Ellum, which is like Dirty Six, East Sixth Street. There's a lot of bars and a lot of crazies that go on. Um, we have the same problem with other large cities that haven't been addressing the root issues um, of, uh, of um, street panhandling. Uh, you know, they, 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 they call them, um, 
they call them homeless, but there's a there's an issue with that uh, and the aggressive part that's unsafe. Well, we have interns that are applying for internship with Geniusdan, and I see that a number of them are are programmers and uh, they're looking for uh, they're looking for experience. And I said, what could we do for a safety app if we if we've got folks that are getting mugged or folks that are getting accosted on the way to the car. It's hurting business all around. You know, it's one thing to say, hey, I want to help and I want to donate to, you know, a real need. It's another thing to get, you know, aggressively, uh, it turns into a physical attack often. So if you had an app in your hand and you could press a button and it would make you safer, you could do something on that app. All the things that this tool can do that we carry around with us, what would that, that app look like? And so we just spun up an intern program and put it out there to the business owners and to the patrons and to the bar managers and said, hey, we're going to send some interns out and they're going to ask you, what would this app do if you could have it work? So we've had a wonderful people come out of nowhere. A, a guy that's a, a, a developer, an app developer for AT&T has volunteered to help coach the program. And folks are coming in. So that's just spun up on what we're doing. I'm very excited about that. And I, look for, I don't know what it's going to do, but our big goal, our, our, our goal is by the end of the summer to have something stood up that you could push a button on that would work. And we don't expect it to have a lot of features or be very deep, but if we can get people using it, they can start saying, I want it to do this. I want it to do that. And we can add features as we go on. See, that's we'll awesome. See. We'll see. We're going to see that guy. That's awesome. Yeah. But that's what I love having interviewed more than probably almost 250 people. That's what I love is that the real entrepreneurs are always looking to solve problems. And some of them aren't just problems that are going to make them money. Some of them are problems that make their neighborhood safer. I mean, that's awesome. This thing probably will never make money, but you know what? If it saves one person from a terrible experience, yeah, it's pretty powerful. Hey, Joe, yeah. I, re- I really appreciate you agreeing to be a guest here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. If somebody listened to this show and they think, I got to know more about this Joe Payton guy, I need to know more about Genius Den, how, how do they find you? Tom, it is my pleasure, and I'm so grateful that you reached out. Thank you. Uh, they would find me at geniusden.com. Um, yeah. GeniusDen.com. And you're there in the, in the Deep Ellum neighborhood of Dallas. We're in Deep Ellum in Dallas. Come on by. We have open desk Thursdays, so anyone can come in and any business person can come in and do their work. So they coffee, tea. A lot of times we go off to lunch, but it's nice. a great time to meet other people and uh, and you know bring people. So if you want to, if you if you're gonna have a meeting with a friend and say, hey, let's just do it on Thursday, we'll go in and do it at Genius Den. Nice. Well, any, anyone who comes in and tells tells Joe that they heard about it on the show and they want free desk, what is it, Thursday, that yes. uh, I'll buy their juice. All right. Easy. Just send me Great. the bill. You just send me the bill. Okay, Tom. Awesome. Well, hey, thank, thank you, you so again. much. No, this was great. And I always learn so much every time I talk to you. And you are one of those people who challenges people to think bigger. And I wish you still lived in Austin because, you know, I could always use that little kick in the ass. So thank you so much. Hey, and thank you to everybody who tuned in. I say it every show. If it wasn't for the listeners, we wouldn't have a show. So keep coming back. We are going to be having another interview in a couple of days with somebody just as cool as Joe Payton. But in the meantime, I want you to go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.